Welcome to another inspirational message from Dave Coop, Senior Pastor of Coastal Church in Vancouver, Canada. Well, last week we were in Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, and uh, if you missed that message, I encourage you, you can go online, get it on the podcast, stay up to date. The Sermon on the Mount is such an important piece to listen to, to study, to learn. It's our Lord's classic message, and I think it's the best sermon that was ever preached. We're just doing our best in this summer series to try to unpack it a bit. You could spend a lifetime studying it. Great men, great women have taken the choice to live by it their entire lives. And I throw that challenge out to all of us. Let's live by this message, not just hear it, but let's live by it. The very first message we had with Carl Gustav when he started this series off, he said, if we will live out this message, we will build a foundation for our lives that when the storms, the winds blow against us, we're going to stay standing. You have storms in your life. I have storms in my life. We're going to have storms somewhere in our life as we go along. But this message, what it talks about, what he teaches us here, our Lord, this is the stuff that we need to live by. Last week, we talked about dealing with wealth and worries. And every one of us deal with wealth and worries in some way or another. And out of that message, there was a couple of questions that came to us. One question our Lord was asking in that part of the Sermon on the Mount was, where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? Do your possessions own you, or do you own your possessions? Another question that came out of it was, why do you have what you have? Why do you have the clothes you have? Why do you have the car you have? Why do you have the house you have? Why do you have it? What are you doing with it? So I'm not so sure I like that question. Well, one day we'll stand before the Lord, and we'll give an account of what we did with what we did. What kind of stewards were we with what we were entrusted to? That was last week's message. Another question that came out of it, how do you view things? What are your optics? He said, you can have an evil eye, or you can have a good eye. And the way you see things, if your eye is evil, it'll rot everything. But if your eye is good, everything can be good. So where is your eye? And then we talked about who or what owns you. He said, you cannot serve money and God. Who owns you? We serve somebody. We're going to serve something or somebody. And the best to serve is the Lord. You cannot even compare the joy of serving our Lord. What a treat to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And then lastly, we talked about why do you worry? Wealth and worries were last week, and so this week we're going to go into chapter 7. He shifts gears a bit in chapter 7 on us, and he's talking here, really. We're going to to start in verse 12, not verse 1. Verse 12 is the golden rule. We all know the golden rule, right? You, you grew up with it. You heard about it. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. And uh, we've heard that, but it's found in the Sermon on the Mount. And there, packaged nicely, is this classic royal law, treat others the way you want to be treated. In my translation, the New King James translation, chapter 7, verse 12, reads this way. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. So he's saying, if you want to distill it, you want to boil it down to one central thing, the way you want others to treat you is the way you have to treat other people. This verse starts off with the word, therefore. We had a Bible school teacher who once said, wherever you see the word therefore, you have to go find out what it's there for. And so when you go, what's this word there for? What's around this verse? Now, starting in chapter 7, verse 1, down to verse 12, He's giving us instruction that lead up to the royal law or the golden rule. There's some things that lead up to it. One is the way we treat others is the way we're going to be treated. First of all, he talks about judging. 
Judging is? Judging can be good. Judging can be bad. We start off by saying right away is that you can be judging with a condemning, critical spirit. You can judge with a discernment. There, judging to discern something. Is it right or wrong? There's a good discernment. There's also the judge who sits in the courtroom and makes decisions for the land. So there's different ways to judge. This word judge is interpreted in different ways. But he starts off in chapter 7 by talking about judging others carefully so we don't get judged the same way. Barnard Research Group did this study on people that were born between the years 1966 and the year 2002. And they found something amazing about Christians when they did this research. And the research wasn't done on believers. The research was done on those who didn't come to church. And what they found out in the research was that 87%, that's like 9 out of 10, 87% of the people felt that judgmental would be an accurate description of Christianity today. They found Christians to be judgmental in their attitude, which is one of the reasons they didn't want to, quote-unquote, try church. So today's message might step on our toes a little bit. It might challenge us a little bit. And honestly, in a half hour or so, we can't really unpack it all. But we want to get into it a little bit, be thinking about it, and hopefully it helps us live out what God wants us to live out. What the Lord was saying when we talked about judging was treat others with a loving, humble attitude instead of a critical, holier-than-thou attitude. That's as simple as we can make it. When we come across that we're better than you are, we're holier than you are, we have our act together, you don't have our act together, you don't have your act together, that turns people off. Whether they be in the church or outside the church, if that snobby attitude is with us, people back away. And if they have hurts, if they have problems in their life, they really feel like, I don't want your help. Jesus goes on to say here in chapter 7, well, let's read it. Chapter 7, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, follow along. Judge not that you may not be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. In other words, if you go around and look at everybody with a magnifying glass and you're trying to find something wrong with them, you have this critical spirit, that's exactly the way you're going to be treated. But if you have a loving heart, if you have a heart of, that's gracious, then that's what's going to come back to you. Now, here comes a classic piece out of the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard about this before. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but don't consider the plank in your own eye? Now, most commentators feel like when Jesus spoke this on the hillside, the Sermon on the Mount, this was actually meant to be funny. I know nobody laughed this morning, but back there on the seaside of Galilee, when he spoke this, he was painting a picture for the people. And he, being a carpenter, used a carpenter's example, could have used another example, but he said, you know, you... Why do you look at this little speck, a little splinter, a little sliver in somebody else's eye, and you have a plank? Can you picture a plank? I mean, this is a, a two-by-four, two-by-six, stuck into somebody's eye, and he's down there trying to find a little sliver in somebody else's eye. Obviously, it's not going to work. So he said, you have to first deal with your heart before you go and try and get out. It's impossible to get that sliver out of somebody else until you take care of your own heart first. 
instead of looking outward and critiquing everybody else, our Lord's saying, take a look on the inside and get that cleaned up. Now, it doesn't mean don't help the other person because you still want to help the other person. This whole thing, remember Jesus is speaking, moved with compassion, loves of people. He wants us to love people. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. What is our DNA? What's our spiritual DNA? Our spiritual DNA should be that if somebody has a, a sliver in their eye, if somebody has a plank in their eye, whatever it is, we should be moved by compassion to help the person in need. Correct? That's, that's who we are. That's what we should be. That's our, our DNA when we said, God, I want you in my life. I want your life in my life. Then when somebody's hurting, then we should be, hey, I want to reach out and help you. What he's saying here is you, if you have a critical, judgmental, I'm better than you attitude, you're likely not going to be able to help that person who's got the splinter in their eye. Folks, there's a lot of people in our city that need help. There's a lot of people in our church that need help. We've got hurts. We've got wounds. But if we come across like, I got it together, people push away. When we ran Celebrate Recovery... One of the things I loved about Celebrate Recovery, Dan, was just the, the openness. People are so willing to receive help. One of the reasons they were so willing to receive help is because the presenters, Dan and the rest of the team, there was never this air, we're better than you are, we've arrived, you haven't arrived. It was very clear, we're on a journey together, let's help one another. And in that environment, people were getting better. That environment we also want to have, that culture in our church as a whole. That's our attitude. So the Lord, in addressing this, he's saying here, it's wrong to judge when we have a critical spirit. It's wrong to judge when it's out of our jurisdiction. Peter says, stop meddling in other people's business. I have the scripture references there for you. And he puts it in a really strong context, folks. You know where he puts meddling in other people's business with? The same category as a murderer and as a thief. That's strong stuff. Some of the stuff is just not our business. And if it's not in our jurisdiction, we have no business judging it or meddling with it, being a busybody. Number of times in the letters, instructions to the churches, this came up. Don't be meddling in other people's business. Mind your own business. It's not your jurisdiction. You shouldn't be judging there. <clears throat> Do you remember the story of the woman who was caught in the act of adultery? And people were going to stone her. John chapter 8. Jesus arrives on the scene. And he looks around. All these religious people had stones in their hands. They wanted to stone her. And he writes something in the ground and asks them, Hey, if any of you guys have never done anything wrong, if you've never sinned, go ahead and throw a stone. Write something in the sand. And one by one, they put down their stones. Started the oldest, down the youngest, and everybody walks away. It's just Jesus and the woman. You can imagine her, right? She's ashamed. She's been, she, it's, it's the worst day of her life. The people are gone, but she's so humiliated. She'd been so judged by them. And then Jesus says to her, look around you. Where are they? They're all gone. And he said to her really three simple things, paraphrasing. One, you're not alone. These people have all made mistakes too. That's comforting to know that none of us are perfect. Secondly, he says, I do, they don't condemn you because they realize where they're at and neither do I condemn you. And thirdly, he said, you have a responsibility now. Go and sin no more. 
he painted a picture to her of a loving God. God is not angry with you. God's not going to punish you. And God's not going to reject you. Wow. Now, if that's the attitude of our Father, how many know that should be our attitude as well? I don't condemn you. I'm not going to... I, I'm, you're not alone. Hey, I'm on a journey like you are. But I also recognize that we have a responsibility to stay out of sin. This is the message we find in John chapter 8. It, when it comes to judging others, we have to be careful that we don't... Now this sometimes happens. People will judge others and point out their little flaws because it takes attention off the plank in their eye. And if I point out something small in your life, maybe you won't see the big glaring thing in my life. It's a, it's a, a way to uh, put a facade over what I have, and I'll focus on your fault so you won't see my big fault. You've had too many times when people point out something little in the church, they'll have a problem with that, have a problem with that, and they leave. We don't see them for about a year later, and some little thing offended them, and we come to find out later on it wasn't some little thing. They're involved in something pretty deep, pretty dark. The real reason comes up later, but they left for a little speck. It helped them. They point out some little thing that was wrong, but really, in fact, there was a plank stuck in their own eye, and they wanted to divert the tension off the plank onto the speck. So we're aware of that. Uh, and then also, we've got to be careful when it comes to judging others because, honestly, I've been there. You've probably been there, too, where we've, we've jumped to conclusions. We've judged somebody or something, and we didn't have all the information. Uh-oh, what was I thinking? You know the old saying, don't judge a book by its covers? There's actually a company in the U.S. that ran a whole series on ads about not judging too quickly. It was AmeriQuest Mortgages. Great little ads. Here's one of them. It'll help you understand this point. She has a fractured fibula. Given mild sedative. So I can be able to go home tomorrow. Daddy's going to be so excited. That killed him. Paging Dr. Palmer. <laughs> Don't judge too quickly. We won't. <laughs> it's funny, but we've been there, right? You, you see something, you judge it, and they're like, oh, man, I can't believe I thought that about that person. You can... Chuck Swindle, it happened to him. He's a great preacher, a great man of God. Chuck Swindle was doing this series of meetings, and the first night when he arrives, he tells a story. He came in, and this older couple met him and said, you know, Mr. Swindle, we're so thrilled that you're here. We're so excited to have you come and speak and in our town, and we're going to be here every night for the seminar. You are our favorite preacher, and there is so warm and endearing. They sat in the second row, and 10 minutes into the message, this man who was so excited here, Chuck Swindle, is fast asleep. And he's preaching, but he's thinking something else. Man, this guy's so excited to hear me, but the guy's sleeping in the front, second row. So he puts up with it. Second night, the couple comes back, sits in the same seat. The guy, 10 minutes in, he's snoring. He, he's out of it. He's just song logs, second row, and he's trying to keep his head into the message. Man, this guy's sleeping. I, I should just go down there and wake him up and say, how dare you sleep in my message when you said I'm your favorite preacher. But he, he resists all that. Third night, he comes back. Fourth night, he's back. In the seminar, the couple is leaving, and the lady says to Mr. Swindle, 
Really appreciate this series. It helped us so much, and it was such a treat to be here. And by the way, I apologize that my husband's sleeping in your sermons and your messages, but he's just been diagnosed with terminal cancer, and he's on medication that makes him extremely drowsy. But he's had a lifelong wish that he could actually come. He's listened to you on the radio. He's read your books. And his dream was that when you came to our town, he would come and sit in your series. So thank you for putting up with him while he slept in the services. Whew. He had judged. He said, I, I judged too quickly. I didn't have all the information. I think our Lord is warning us here not to judge too quickly. I think the world's saying something to us that uh, they have a feeling that we're too quick to judge, that we don't take time to listen, and we don't give them an, a, a greater understanding that God absolutely loves them and cares for them. So the Lord says, judge not unless you be judged. Don't have this critical, holier-than-thou attitude that pushes people away. You can never help get a speck out of their eye or any problem. You can't help them because of the way you've treated them. The golden rule is, how do you want to be treated? The way you treat others is the way you're going to be treated. Well, should we ever judge? Should we never judge them? No, there's times to judge. Because judging means to be discerning. Here in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, a speck in somebody's eye. Well, you'd have to judge to see if there's a speck. Later on, he says here, don't throw your pearls before a swine or the dog. So you'd have to judge what is a dog and what's a hog. You'd have to. Later on, he says, be careful of false prophets. So you have to make a judgment. Is this person a false prophet or a true prophet? So there's times to judge. But it's this critical spirit the Lord's dealing with. When should we judge? When, when is it right to be discerning? Well, it's right to do that when it's in your jurisdiction. In your home, you make judgment calls. We make a judgment call on what gets watched on TV and what doesn't get watched. Maybe you have a television and you have young children. You have the parental controls and you put certain guidelines. That's a judgment. That's being discerning. You may have other things that you make a judgment on in your home. In the church, we have to make certain judgments. Paul made it very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He said, in the church, those outside the church that aren't believers, he said, we're not judging them, but inside the church, in the church community, there should be certain behaviors. And if people are saying, hey, we don't want to behave that way, this is, then we need to make a judgment on it. We need to help them. Jesus said in John chapter 7 to judge with a righteous judgment. He said, don't just judge by appearance. Judge with a righteous judgment. So there's times we need to be discerning, understanding, and have a quote-unquote righteous judgment on something. Very easy just to judge by appearance. That's what happened to David. Remember David, when he was chosen to be king, Samuel the prophet came. David's dad gets all the boys out. Youngest to oldest, lines them up. The prophet comes along, starts with the oldest, he says, nope, he's not the one. Nope, he's not the one. Goes all the way down to the second youngest. And then he says, are these all the boys you have? And his dad says, no, we have one more boy. He's out doing chores. He's watching the sheep. He says, well, I need to see all the boys. And so they go and call for David. David comes. And David is chosen to be king. At that point in Samuel, God does not look on the appearance as men do. God looks on the heart. David was overlooked. Maybe you've been overlooked. David was overlooked. His dad overlooked him. I mean, this isn't trying out for the soccer team or the baseball team or the slingshot team. This is dad's sons. And his dad overlooked him. His dad sent out to do chores instead of being there when the prophet came. Maybe you've been overlooked. Maybe somebody just looked at your appearance. I have very good news for you this morning. God looks at your heart. If we keep our heart right, 
keep a heart pure, there will be a day when promotion comes. There will be a day when breakthrough comes. Focus on your heart. Guard your heart with all diligence for out of there flows the issues of life. We have a whole generation. We have a whole society that puts so much emphasis on appearance. Isn't that true? Everything from the way we dress to the way we, you know, we, 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 we could go down a rabbit trail here, but we won't. We could talk about Botox. We could talk about this. We could talk about that. We talk about a lot of things just to have this appearance. But God says, I'm more interested on the heart. If you keep my heart right, promotions with God lie in with the way we treat our heart. What does God want us to do? God wants us to be careful that we don't judge people on the outside. We're careful to look what happens on the inside of them. I think we can have a lot of lonely people in our city that have put walls around them because the way people have misjudged them. This took place to a guy by the name of Shrek. I think we need to review his story. <coughs> Shrek is a big, ugly ogre. And people didn't understand him. He's on his way back with the talking donkey. Talking donkey. The only thing that really, only friend he had. Rescued the princess on his way back to the village under the stars. And they're having this heart-to-heart conversation. Let's join the conversation. Forget it. Hey, Shrek, what we gonna do when we get out of Swamp anyway? Uh, our Swamp? You know, when we threw rescuing the princess and all that stuff. We? Donkey, there's no we. There's no our. Hmm? There's just me and my Swamp. And the first thing I'm gonna do is build a ten-foot wall around my land. You cut me deep, Shrek. You cut me real deep just now. You know what I think? I think this whole wall thing is just a way to keep somebody out. No. Do you think? Are you hiding something? Never mind, donkey. Oh, this is another one of those onion things, isn't it? No, this is one of those drop it and leave it alone things. Well, why don't you want to talk about it? Why do you want to talk about it? Well, why are you blocking? I'm not blocking. Oh, yes, you are. Donkey, I'm warning you. Who are you trying to keep out? Just tell me that, Shrek. Who? Everyone, okay? Oh, now we're getting somewhere. Oh, for the love of Pete. Hey, what's your problem, Shrek? What you got against the whole world anyway? Huh? Look, I'm not the one with the problem, okay? It's the world that seems to have a problem with me. People take one look at me and go, Ah, help, run! A big, stupid, ugly ogre. They judge me before they even know me. That's why I'm better off alone. You know what? When we met, I didn't think he was just a big, stupid, ugly ogre. Yeah, I know. So, uh, are there any donkeys up there? Well, there's, um... Gabby, the small and annoying. Okay, okay, I see, I see it now. Yeah, the big shiny one, right there, right? That, that, that one there. That's the moon. Oh. <laughs> you, you catch what Shrek said there? They, they run from me. They don't. They judge me before they know me, and that's why I want to be alone. 
Now, here's where I hear the Father's heart. Here's where I hear God's heart, where people feel like they judge me before they even know me. I want to be alone. I don't even want to be with them. And 87% in this survey said they judge me before they even know me in church. I'd rather not be with them. Then I think we have to take a deep breath as church, not just, I'm not saying our church alone, but the church community and say, let's really take this message to heart and say, have the attitude of Christ, that we're here to serve, we're here to love, we're here to encourage, and we're here to say we have no stones to throw. You're not condemned. God's not mad at you. He hasn't rejected you. Be responsible. Go and sin no more. So do we judge? Are there things we should judge? Are there things we discern? Yeah. We're supposed to do if If it's in our home, our jurisdiction, we should make judgment. There's times we need to judge so we don't fall into a trap. The Bible clearly warns. Jesus does in Matthew chapter 7. Peter makes warning of it. Others make warning of it. Beware of false teachers. Don't be gullible. Judge it. Judge it according to God's word. Does it line up with the scriptures? Whether it be me preaching it or whether it be somebody else preaching it, make sure it lines up with his word. Judge it. That's the right way to judge. Uh, when we help other people, sometimes James said, if somebody falls, you who are righteous, you who are spiritual, go and restore that person. Galatians talks about it. If somebody falls in a trap, so you have to make a discernment call. Man, they fall, they're hurting, they're going the wrong way. I need to go over there and help them. If you see, a, a, let me give you this example. If I see a guy who's married, got three kids, and he starts hanging out with his, some lady and dating her, how about it's really good for me to be discerning and go up beside him and lovingly, gently encourage him, say, you know what, you're headed toward disaster. James says, if you can help that guy, you will cover a multitude of sins. Because not just him, divorce, the kids, the grandkids, there's a whole bunch of problems that could come along. But if I go along and help him now and lovingly, so there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. But that critical holder-in-thou thing, that really stinks with God and man. In Psalms we read, David says, Psalm 139, he says, search my heart. Check my heart. It starts with a humble heart. It starts with me looking at me, getting my log out first, but then make sure I go and help the guy that's got the splinter. So, Sermon on the Mount talks a lot about understanding the importance of how we judge others. Then secondly, understand not everyone's going to welcome your help. Because it goes on to say in verse 6, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before the swine. Now please... When we think dogs, we think of the little puppies that run around downtown Vancouver. This is not those kind of dogs that are, you know, some apartment puppy. This is a wild dog that lives in the dump, and they're kind of vicious, and they, they're, they're not, and the, and the swine, these are not Miss Piggy, okay? These are, these are dirty animals, especially back then. He says, you don't throw your pearls to people, what he's saying, that reject it. Help people. But honestly, saying some people will not receive your help. And if they don't receive your help, what do you do? You move on. Another place, Jesus said, when you share with them and they don't want it, dust your feet off and go help somebody else. You know why that's important? Because when you go reach out to help somebody and they reject your help, you know what you feel? You feel rejection and you feel like saying, well, that's it. I'm not going to help anybody. But that's not the deal. The deal is to go and say, I'll help somebody else. 
easy to do that. Mature thing to do is, I'm going to go on and help somebody else. Well, what about the guy who I did? I wanted to help, he rejected. What do I do with that? Then we move on to verse 7. Asking will be given to you. Seeking you'll find. Knocking the door will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. He who knocks will be opened. If they, if they don't want your help, say, hey, and you might have a relative like that. You might have a coworker like that. I don't want to hear about your God. I don't want to hear about church. I want your help. I want nothing to do with you. And they've got an ogre wall around them. What do you do for that? You can't get in their life. They've got a wall. Ah, but you can. You have a secret weapon. You have prayer. Now, you're going to have to be persistent. You're going to have to ask. You're going to have to seek. You're going to have to knock because their volition is involved with this. You can't quit. You just continue to pray for them. And there might be some of us here this morning. We have a loved one or we have a coworker, We have a neighbor and they have put a wall up. They don't want you anything to do with you. They, they have made a false assessment of you. What can you do for them? Right here, pray for them. One of the greatest things we can do for others is pray for them. If we're praying for others and if we don't carry this judgmental, holier-than-thou attitude, guess what? That's the way we're going to be treated. People pray for us, they'll treat us with that same kind of respect. Billy and Ruth Graham were on their uh, travels, and they were traveling by car. They got detoured because of road construction. So going down this road, and if you've ever been in detour, you know that's like bumper-to-bumper traffic, Moves very slow, and uh, finally they get out of all this rough traffic, and they're back on the freeway. About a mile down the road, there's a sign that says, end of construction, thank you for your patience. Ruth Graham looks over at Billy Graham, and she said, that would be a fitting inscription on my tombstone. End of construction. Thanks for your patience. I could say the same thing. I'm still under construction. Thanks for your patience. Because till the day we die or the day we go to be with the Lord, we are under construction. Thanks for your patience. Jesus is asking us to be patient. He's asking us to keep reaching out and helping other people. And if they reject your help, keep praying for them. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This is Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to download free notes from this message or find out more information about Pastor Dave Coop, then we invite you to visit our website at www.coastalchurch.org.